it's very easy sometimes when you, you you know everybody's busy right it's very easy just to be very internally focused as you put it earlier you know as you walk in you've got to do this it's on your mind you've got a few things you've got to do today but build in if you can some time to explore and to think about the outside world. Welcome to the Be Epic Podcast, brought to you by the Sam M. Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. I'm your host, Brent Williams. Together, we'll explore the dynamic landscape of business and uncover the strategies, insights, and stories that drive business today. Well, today I have with me Simon Miles. Simon is Vice President of Global Omni Channel at the Coca-Cola Company. Uh, and has become a good friend. So, Simon, thank you for joining. Thanks, Brent. It's so good to be back in Northwest Arkansas again. I've been coming for a lot of years, and it's always a great pleasure. Good to see you. Well, we're glad to have you here. Maybe from the accent, we can tell you're not from Arkansas, right? So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I am I'm from the south, but it's the south of England. <laughs> so I live near to, near London. Um, yeah, so uh, I've, uh, I've been coming uh, over to the U.S. as part of Coca-Cola for, for many years. I've been part of the global team for the last 10 years. been at Coca-Cola 17 years. Um, so I had a sort of long, long career in all sorts of different um, elements of that. But, you know, personally married, two kids who are no longer kids. They're grown-ups now. Mm-hmm. And a uh, keen tennis player and photographer uh, and even drone pilot for a bit of aerial photography occasionally. That's right. Uh, quite the uh, quite the fun interest outside of work. Uh, and, and inside work, you know, from a professional perspective, a background in, in marketing, digital marketing, e-commerce. Yeah, certainly in the last um, 10 to 15 years, that's dominated it. Um, although I have to say, you know, in the earlier parts of my career, it was much more varied than that. So, yes, there was some sales roles. There was some admin roles. I was um, leading teams on insights, on category planning, on shopper marketing. Um, so it was it was a good broad base from which then I eventually kind of narrowed it down and started to specialize as digital marketing and e-commerce started to evolve. And so I could see the opportunity and, and kind of spent more time in that space. And then in this role, you're leading commercial strategy with poor Coca-Cola yeah. on behalf of most global customers? Yes. So, um, so I do that across all of our regions of the world. So we operate in these 206 countries. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, I can't cover all 206. Um, so prioritization is always key. But yes, I'm responsible for the for our overall omni-channel strategy with all of our key customers um, across the different regions of the world. But of course, we have in Coca-Cola, we have nine operating units around the world. So I work with our local teams who will do more of the kind of day-to-day work on the ground. Okay. Uh, totally makes sense. Well, let's, let's kind of dive into the omni-channel world. Mm. Uh, because what an exciting place, what, what an exciting area to work in, omni-channel retail. Uh, you've got a good bit of history, you know, working in uh, with retailers in omni-channel. Um, yeah, just kind of what are you seeing and how do you see it evolving right now? Yeah, it is, um, it, it's ever-evolving. It's one of those fascinating spaces, you know, it's changed a lot in the sort of 10, 15 years I've been in that space. And of course, there was the huge acceleration towards e-commerce during the, the COVID pandemic, you know, a couple of years back, um, which which I think really changed the game for a lot of suppliers. And certainly for us, where suddenly from a very small part of our business, it suddenly became a very significant part of the business. And I know the same is true for many retailers too. Um, and that's driving a lot of change, I think, in terms of how people view the importance of the e-commerce side of Omnichannel. Um, and so we're seeing a lot more investment going in. So when, when I talk about investment, I'm, I'm thinking people, resource, as well as, you know, dollars and cents. Um, and a lot more focus in terms of our business planning and those kind of um, areas that we work on. 
Um, and just to give you a sort of couple of areas that I think are really sort of moving forward a lot more recently, um, there's been a lot of sort of capacity constraints and that kind of stuff which came out of the pandemic. It was difficult for people to meet demand at the time uh, as, that's, as that spiked. Um, and so there was a lot of investment going into sort of supply chain solutions and logistics and those kind of things to build the capacity so that we can meet demand. Um, so I think that's that's a real trend that that really accelerated through through and beyond the pandemic. Um, and more recently, I think you've seen the development of a couple of areas like artificial intelligence, mm. um, which is really making a starting to make a difference. I think it's still early and we're still figuring it out, but it's you know starting to play out. And I think it has a lot of as has a big future, if you like, as to the things I'm thinking about for the future. Um, and the other one is the the emergence of the retail media area, which is driving significant amount of investment potentially into the retailer. P&L um, from different parts of the supplier organization. You know, we're talking brand dollars rather than kind of traditional trade dollars. Um, but again, it's early days. We're still figuring it out. Um, so yeah, there's lots of, it's, it never stops, right? It's, it's such a fascinating space. It is fascinating. Maybe kind of diving in on both of those. Maybe we'll start with, with AI because we yeah. probably, uh, we've done some work together on retail media, which I want to touch on. Uh, very early days uh, of you know generative AI being much more accessible uh, to both individuals and companies. Um, any like little tidbits of highlights of where you think maybe this could make a real difference in Omnichannel? Yeah, I think um, the the jury's still out, you know, because we are at the early stages. But the way I look at it is, I can definitely see. And I was talking about this with our local team yesterday, actually. Um, when you think about how people shop and the, the what they're trying to do is they're trying to feed the family for the week, right? Typically, mum is saying, you're saying, right, okay, I've got, you know, the kids have got to go to school and I've got lunch boxes to make and then I've got, you know, you've got some friends coming around on Saturday night so that she's got a meal plan in her head um, of a, n a number of meals. And at the moment, the structure of how people gen generally shop online is kind of item by item or aisle by aisle, right, picking it through. And I think what's going to happen with something like AI is you could actually put in in sort of natural language you know, build me a plan for the week. I've got, you know, three kids in the house. I need five lunch boxes and I need a meal for Saturday night. And it'll give you suggestions then of products, which I think with sort of one click you can add to the basket. Mm -hmm. So that kind of ability, I think, is going to change the dynamics of how people shop online from, um, you know, frankly, what historically I think has been almost, imagine a floor plan of a supermarket put on a page of, of a computer screen and then we're made to kind of go through all the aisles. Uh, which perhaps isn't the best experience we could have built, but it's it's just we are where we are. So I think AI is going to make a difference to that kind of thing. And I also think more technically um, how uh, the digital shelf is built, I think, will be heavily influenced by artificial intelligence. So at the moment, it's 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 kind of quite a manual process in many ways of images and text and, and, and the rest to, to kind of create the pages that you see. Um, but I think artificial intelligence will take a lot of the effort out of that. So, you know, most of the use cases that we're seeing are, in the space of time saving and efficiency and i think mm -hmm. that's where it's really going to start to begin with where it goes beyond uh, you know you have to ask a futurist who <laughs> really can get around that well even your first example of meal planning for a family uh that that could be an impact of saving a family an hour you know on, on the weekend that could allow them to enjoy enjoy family time or enjoy recreation and then you know, I'm excited about uh, the ability of generative AI and enterprises to, of course, take out the rote tasks uh, yeah. that we probably as humans, you know, could be using our time better. So I, I think it's I think it's exciting. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, no, completely. And I'll give you another little little tiny example that, that I've been using it for recently. 
Um, when we, we were still having a lot of virtual meetings at Coke, right? I'm part of the global team. So we had, I hosted a meeting last week. There was about 10 people on the call and we, we recorded the call because there were some people who couldn't make it. And so there were the, there's, you know, Zoom automatically created a transcript of the meeting and I needed then to summarize it. So I just put that into chat GPT and said, turn this transcript into a summary of the meeting with bullet points and action points. And it did it in 15 seconds. I know. <laughs> so, you know, the time saving for me, yes, I could have gone through that, but it was an hour's meeting. It would have taken me probably half an hour to have done that. So you're absolutely right. In terms of the time saving, it's, it's tremendous. It's wonderful. I yeah. agree. Well, retail media, uh, which is really how you and I originally got to know one another. And um, you uh, individually, Coca-Cola as a company has really supported the Walton College in putting out thought leadership around retail media. Uh, we put out our first white paper uh, early last fall and uh, are working on a second version of that that you're helping us with uh, again. So one, thank you uh, for helping the Walton College create thought leadership. But one thing I love is that we're doing this together. Uh, and um, But, you know, uh, well, how do you see this space evolving? Because it's been a space that really seems to have evolved really, really quickly. Yeah, it, it is. You're right. And many people think of it as the third wave of, of digital advertising, um, you know, after search and social. And But the speed at which it's got to the level it is, is much faster than either of those two. Um, and so it, it's hard, you know, and that's why we wanted to partner up with you guys. And it was such an important piece of work that you, you led last year to give us a, a baseline of understanding on it because there was a lot of there was a lot of literature out in the marketplace, but it's it's all coming or much of it was coming with an angle. So, you know, an agency would publish or a retailer would publish. And so we wanted an independent um, viewpoint and that's what you gave us. And that was really helpful for, for us as a business to then be able to think through for ourselves, what are the key things we want to be focused on and what do we want to try and work out? So, it, you know, it's been a wonderful partnership and we really appreciate the work that, that you've done. Um, and it, it's definitely helped us, I think, to work with some industry partners as well um, to sort of take some of that thinking on. Um, and so, you know, retail media is one of those areas that has has such opportunity in it. And I think it's it's quite easy, as you articulated in the white paper last year, to kind of understand the promise of that um, with, you know, consumers getting more relevant advertising, you know, retailers making some a new revenue stream and, and suppliers being able to target in a way they haven't before in measure. Um, but we've still got a way to go to, to kind of realize that that promise. Um, but there's been, you know, significant strides forward. You know, we've been testing with a number of different retailers in different parts of the world. Um, you know, what responds well? How do you how do you work through it? What types of, of tactics work well in this space? Um, as many others have as well. And I think you know, there's been a lot of work. And one of the things that's interesting about this space, and, and it reminds me of when I was first in e-commerce, you know, over a decade ago, there's quite a collaborative spirit in the industry, which doesn't necessarily exist in other parts. And so we've certainly partnered up a lot, you know, as we did with you in the first instance, but with other, you know, there's cross supplier forums, there's people like the IAB who are working in this space. There's a lot of collaboration here. And I think the way forward in this space, and when I come back to suppliers and retailers specifically working together to work out the right plans for the consumer, collaboration is at the heart of that. Because, um, what I'm seeing now globally is that these are all evolving in their own way. So if you're a Carrefour in France um, or you're Woolworths in Australia or you're Walmart in the US, you're developing for your own platform. And so it's developing slightly differently. Um, and so there's a there's a need to collaborate together to understand where all those platforms are going and how we get more consistency in the industry. And that's starting to come. 
Um, we're starting to open that up. Um, but I don't think any one company has all the answers either. And so it's not one of those things we can just go out and try and you know make everybody fit to our model because we don't have all the answers either, certainly. And so it's opening up a really fabulous collaboration opportunity between retailers and suppliers. And I think long term, this will fundamentally change the way that retailer supplier relationships work because it historically, you know, it's been owned by the merchants and the key account teams, you know, have been the sort of two, two sides of the coin, if you like, and, and kind of working out and negotiating together and, and building the plans. Now with the re- advent of retail media, where it's much more about marketing and media, different parts of the organization are brought into play and you have to have both sides working together in order to make that work. So you have collaboration opportunities within the retailer, within the supplier, and between the retailer and supplier, which looks different in the future to how it did in the past. So it's it's an amazing evolving space. Um, you know, as you say, fast, lots of investment going in, um, lots of progress, but still lots of, uh, of development to come. One of my learnings out of that work last summer that uh, speaks to this point was, you know, typically you, you thought about that relationship as you're right. I mean, at least being I, I won't say owned, but maybe led by, it was more dyadic, if you will, you know, um, and all of a sudden we see multiple parts of the organization have to not only collaborate across retail and supplier, but even within uh, a brand or within a retailer uh, that we hadn't seen before. And so I agree with you that the collaboration and, and the integration uh, both internally and externally are going to be key. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And we've certainly been doing, you know, since we were working together last summer, um, we've been doing a lot of that sort of work. So you won't see it on externally, but internally we've been doing a lot to break down some of the silos that exist in our business and think about how do we plan activation together um, in a way that's much more joined up than it was in the past. So, you know, the brand teams and the commercial teams are much more linked. Um, it's based off, uh, you know, category and insight understanding and the insights that the retailer can share with us as well. So it's, it's quite a different dynamic. There's a lot more people involved. That's complex. In, a, in an organization our size, you know, Coca-Cola has something like 700,000 people globally. Um, that's not easy to kind of, you know, manage your way through that. So we, we spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, and, you know, the good news is I think there's, there's an appetite and an understanding from the retailer's point of view as well that the same thing exists in their organizations. They're feeling that too. Um, and we're helping, you know, working together in a way that, we probably couldn't have done before. Mm-hmm. Um, we're bringing some of our expertise as media buyers and marketeers, which is historically what you know our organisation's been been uh, been good at and been famous for. And we're bringing some of that skill set and expertise on behalf of our retail partners. So it's been it's been good. Mm-hmm. It's been good. I'm very well, positive about the future of that. I'm looking forward to the next iteration of the work. Uh, so again, thank you for for partnering with us on it. And you mentioned something um, that um, over the last year, as I've gotten to know you that you've helped me with, and that is being able to get uh, a more global understanding of what's happening in omni-channel retail, but some of the unique uh, aspects regionally across the world. And uh, so operating in 206 countries, I think uh, you have a, a great vantage point of that. Just what are some of the things you see differently regionally that, that you think are interesting? Yeah, the, you're absolutely right. It's one of the privileges of the role I have at Coca-Cola is I get to see a lot of different models working. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of often a lot of similarities between places like the US and Western Europe. Um, but even that, you know, if I think about, um, you know, my home country, the UK, um, built up its e-commerce business based on home delivery. 
Whereas if you're in France or most other sort of developed markets, it's more of a pickup market. Um, and so there's nuances in terms of how the e-commerce model works and where some of the costs are contained in that, because obviously from the UK model is quite expensive to run because you've got to then deliver to people's houses. Whereas if you get the consumer to work, do that work, then, you know, there's a, there's a slightly different economic um, turn on it. I think what's interesting as well is when you step out into Asia, you know, China's out kind of almost on its own and its own sort of ecosystem developed very differently. It's very mobile led. It's very socially led. So a lot of the commerce sitting within the framework of the social media channels that exist in China, which look, you know, somewhat similar to the ones that we would be familiar with, but operate under slightly different um, ways. Um, and so what's interesting is the influence of China in some of the other Asian markets. So if you take India, where I think currently it's, the market is still very, very traditional trade-led, right? So something like 96% of our business in India is still what you call traditional trade. So in the Karana stores and the you know, mom and pop stores, that kind of stuff. So it's only quite small, the kind of de de developed side, but that's all just skipping a generation that's going straight into social and mobile. So you see the models very much sort of developing differently, but they are also thinking about things like retail media and artificial intelligence. You know, so some of those threads that you know I've talked about are still manifesting themselves in, in markets which on the surface look very different. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's lots of lots of different um, areas. The, the other bit that would, that I'm also responsible for, um, if you step away from retail for a minute, is kind of food service and mm -hmm. food service aggregators, quick commerce, that kind of area. And we've seen that develop in a lot of different parts of the world. So you have markets like um, Israel or Turkey, which are very strong in terms of um, some of the tech-led developments there around for food aggregator platforms, mm -hmm. which are very sophisticated in terms mm -hmm. of how they um, how they will market themselves, uh, you know, what the platform looks like, how interactive it is, and those kind of things. So it's always just fascinating. I mean, it, you know, that expression "every day is a school day," and it's certainly in my job, that's absolutely true. You know, I'm always coming into stuff thinking, "Wow, I never saw that before. That's amazing." Mm. Well, um, you know, one thing that um, I, I think I could tell uh, is, you know, you enjoy learning, right? And so being curious and, and learning and learning about what all is happening in, in the world mm -hmm. uh, is quite a privilege, as you mentioned, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it is. You're absolutely right. And that's one of the motivators for me is trying to understand this space. And when I, in the role I have, one, one of the sides of that that I think I owe the organization for the privilege of doing the job I do is to be the person who's almost like the translator for our business to take the outside world and bring it in mm. to Coca-Cola. So understand the trends, understand the differences regionally, but see the similarities between there so that we can draw the, the dots between various different, uh, whether it's customer platforms or whether it's you know different regions of the world and try and see that and say, what is the implication for our business in other parts of the world? So I'm an opportunity spotter, if you like, on behalf of the of the organization. And that that keeps me intellectually stimulated because you're absolutely right. You've got to stay in that learning mindset and say, how, how do I just not take anything for granted here? How do I look at this afresh every day and try and figure out what's new and different? And I love that side of it. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's actually uh, what, what I would, we would turn that sense-making, you know, for the organization. Mm. And that's actually something that I think often leaders can forget is a really important part of their role, right? Because uh, I, I know for me, uh, it's so easy to to walk in at whatever time you're coming in in the morning, and the mm -hmm. to do list sort of takes over. Uh, but but it is true, right? There's so much happening outside of the walls of the organization, and a, a leader does have to be able to scan and and make sense of it, you know, for the organization, for the strategy of the organization. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I, I've always taken the view, you know, if I'm if I'm a 
one of the leaders in our digital business, then I'm supposed to be driving that agenda. And wh where is most of that going to come from? It's not going to come from the work I've set off, although you always do get, you know, some fantastic work internally. I've got to at least have the view outside to see what others are doing. And that's why I've always um, taken time to, to attend, you know, conferences and, you know, things like this. You know, I always learn something when I talk to people like you, Brent, and, and, and others, you know, and so it's important to have an external focus as well as an internal one. Um, just to keep abreast of everything in, in the industry because there's so much to learn all the time. It moves so quickly, particularly in the digital space. Yeah. It, well, speaking of learning, one of mine working together last year was really about the organization of, of Coca-Cola. Um, you know, I thought Coca-Cola. Um, but, you know, it's a little more complicated than that with, with your bottlers and the relationship that you have yes. with bottlers. And I think most of us probably don't understand that. And it's a little bit unique. Yeah, I think it is. And I, you're absolutely right. People just think Coca-Cola is like one big company, right? Um, but it's actually sort of, the, the easiest way to think about it is it's split into two halves, right? So you have the Coca-Cola company, which owns the brands, creates creates the magic, if you like, in terms of the um, advertising campaigns and that kind of stuff, and also owns the magic formula. And before you ask me now, I don't know what it is. Okay, I'm not, uh, that was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> that's way above my pay grade. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what the kind of company does. And then there is a network of franchise bottlers around the world who take the the syrup that we produce yeah. and then they then bottle and manufacture that locally so we have hundreds of plants around the world that that manufacture and they will then distribute that in the local markets yeah. and so that's a, that's the sort of franchise model that we have but of course it's a symbiotic relationship right we are absolutely um work hand in hand with our, our bottling partners um you know we we just would not be successful without them clearly um, and so it's, a, and in fact, I had the first nine years of my Coca-Cola career, I was on the bottling side of the organization in the UK. Um, so I'm very familiar with that. So I've sort of done the transition. So I sit both sides of the, uh, of the, the Coca-Cola system as we call it. So having, having that background with a bottler, I'm sure, uh, gives you an advantage as you, as you work with them in this role. Yeah, I, I think it does. I think it, partly, you know, commercially, I understand the economic model, mm -hmm. um, and the business model for the bottlers, which, you know, um, is is very helpful on a day in day out basis because you know what what their agenda is likely to be and what they what they need to achieve, and and how it works, you know, how to get stuff done, and that's one of the one of the challenges I think as you enter business and as you build a career, the most in my view the most successful people are people who know how to get stuff done. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who are you know good thinkers or they're you know smart people, but if you can't get it done, it's going to be a limiting factor, and so. For me, you're right, that that history of mine in the bottling side of the organization is very helpful for me to understand what, what would they need to make this work? Because the, often locally, they will be the people who will go and sell with the, to the retailers and they'll be building the local you know spin on the plans. And so if you know that going in, you know how to feed that information in the mm -hmm. first place. Mm -hmm. And so that ability to get stuff done, I think, is a really important thing to hold on to as you build a career transitioning maybe back to the to the business just just a touch you know the overall categories that you're in the beverage category is one uh with without deep knowledge of the category uh seems to be innovating in some mm -hmm. really interesting ways uh so i guess what are what are some of the the highlights of that innovation and where do you see those categories evolving to yeah is there, there is a lot of of dynamism in the beverage category uh, always has been but it's it's sort of like much of much things um, in, in life, it's accelerating um, and fragmenting a lot. So we've seen, you know, the growth of things like coffee is a really, really big uh, global trend. Um, you know, alcoholic beverages like seltzers and things like that are, have come up, you know, more recently. Um, but huge innovations in 
in packaging as well, um, driven by a sort of sustainability agenda as well. So as you'll notice as you travel the world, there's lots of different ways in which that manifests itself. And whether that's lightweight glass bottles, whether that's different types of plastics, whether it's um, uh, you, you know, one of my favorite ones recently, I was in Japan um, recently and they've got what they call label-less bottles. So there's another little plastic sleeve that often sits on the outside of remove that and we just print directly onto the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's ways in which we're innovating constantly around um, some of those kind of sides of the of the, of the categories, um, but it it is amazing how much choice there is now for consumers. And of course that that also presents itself a challenge when you think about the business side of it, from assortment mm-hmm. and display and you know planogram automation, all that kind of stuff. We're we're working hard on to make it simple simple for people to shop the category and um, to drive that. But yeah, again another area that, that never stops um, innovating. Well, and, you know, I guess as the choice proliferates, you know, for, for me as a consumer, going back to retail media and some of the um, some of the innovations in technology, I'm excited that, that you, uh, as a marketer um, with Coca-Cola, can increasingly speak to me individually uh, and, and help me parse through all of that choice uh, knowing me uh, as the consumer. Yeah, and that, that's the wonderful thing about where technology will take us, I think. And, and I don't think we're, um, we've cracked that code yet, um, but we're certainly getting there. So you're absolutely right, because you know there's that notion of the endless aisle, right? As you get the kind of category like has, which got thousands of SKUs in it, no one wants to shop an endless aisle. What you want is to find the things you're looking for very quickly, and that's where the, the technology will help surface the right products in the right way, and then provide a bit of inspiration. So that's where that technology comes in really powerfully, I think. And the more that we can understand you know, the, the mission you're on, the type of baskets, the types of products that you might like, and we're able to synthesize that together, that's what then surfaces the inspirational um, content to you. Um, and so, you know, and that's, I think that's, that could be really powerful as a way of driving it, um, driving that discovery side of it. So, yeah, it's very exciting. Well, speaking of inspiration, uh, I guess I'll, I'll close with this question. And you've gotten to know a little bit about our students and, um, you know, the students of the Walton College that uh, I believe have a tremendously bright future in front of them. Uh, if, you know, as you get a chance to interact with, with young people entering into the field of CPG or retail or marketing, uh, what are some of the lessons learned from you as you sort of look back at this global career that's been quite exciting? Yeah, it's... Um... I mean, what an exciting time to be joining business, right? I mean, amazing opportunities, I think, for the for the students. I think there are some timeless things which are still relevant, I think, going forwards. I mean, I think we touched on a couple of them. So having a sort of curious mindset, I think, is really important asset to to think about. And so be seeking out and trying to to learn constantly, I think, is a really important thing as as you transition out of the sort of um, academic world into, into a business world and start to build your career. Um, I think that notion of being somewhat action orientated, so having the ability to understand how the how your organisation, big or small, how does it work? How does stuff really get landed? Um, how do you get to the end goal, um, you know, as efficiently and as effectively as possible? Um, I think that's really important, um, and I think that whole kind of external mindset, you know, it's very easy sometimes when you you know everybody's busy. Right. It's very easy just to be very internally focused. As you put it earlier, you know, as you walk in, you've got a to-do list that's on your mind. You've got a few things you've got to do today. But build in, if you can, some time to explore and to think about the outside world. I mean, for example, I always have the first hour of my day 
is used externally. So I'm reading or I'm, you know, interacting with people on whether it's LinkedIn or whether it's, you know, some other platform. Um, and that's about learning. That's just about opening my mind before I start thinking about what I need to do for the day. And so, you know, I have to, because of the way I work, my brain works, I have to diarize that. Mm-hmm. So that's in my, that's in my calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and hours of external stuff. Otherwise, I just wouldn't get to it because I'd, I'd just start doing what I'm doing. So I think, you know, having that kind of curiosity, having that external mindset, but being able to sort of think about how you get stuff done um, to achieve, I think is really important. Um, and it's definitely all of those have really helped me, I think, as I've developed my career. Okay. Well, I, I synthesizing that, maybe just to touch a couple of the things that really resonate with me for our students is, one, I'll go back to one of your earlier comments which is the ability to get things done, you know, uh, to focus and get things done, particularly early in your career, can really be something that sets you apart. And then at the same time, uh, be able to have a broad mindset, understanding what's happening so that you can bring those learnings in and a unique perspective to the workplace. I think both of those are valuable and can be a competitive advantage for a young person. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I, I think the, the other thing is... Um, just sort of fortitude or resilience, I mm-hmm. think, is an important sort of human quality to have because rarely are our careers a straight line. Mine certainly hasn't been. Mine has meandered all over the place. I mean, just, you know, um, just to give you a bit of insight, you know, I, I was made redundant uh, twice in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had to change industries a couple of times. Um, and it's just that fortitude to get back up and go, hey, you know, I've got stuff to offer. And so have, you know, confidence in your own ability, I think, is an important um, area to, to drive things forward you know that there will inevitably be setbacks of one type or another and the ability to dust yourself off and just go again I think is really important too what wonderful advice to close on uh, so be resilient uh, to our to our students out there listening well Simon I really appreciate you joining us today I appreciate your support of the Walton College and your partnership thank you so much it's been a real pleasure thank you On behalf of the Walton College, thank you for joining us for this captivating conversation. To stay connected and never miss an episode, simply search for Be Epic on your preferred podcast service.